0: You're listening to the Sydney Opera House Artie Podcast.
1: Your best idea is never idea number 5, idea number 10. It could be idea number 799. But to get there, you've got to write down 798 done ideas to get to your golden idea. So make it a habit to write ideas down. This talk was recorded as a live-streamed conversation. I always tell you know people to write about their life because I find that when you are writing about your life, you are able to use your own experiences. You can entertain by taking bits of your life that you find are fascinating or unique about yourself. One of the things about being a writer is that you need to, um, you know, develop a thick skin. And by that, it means that, you know, if people don't like your work, that's okay. Because books, movies, games, you know, some people love it, some people don't. And that's okay.
0: Good morning everyone and welcome to this very exciting digital author talk coming live to you from the Sydney Opera House. My name's Min and I am the digital producer for the Kids and Families team here at the house. The land that the Opera House sits on is now known as Benelong Point, but the traditional owners of the land, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, called this place Tubagali, and I'd like to acknowledge elders past, present and emerging. And to all of you joining us from all across Australia, welcome. We have a really exciting author talk for you today, one of Australia's most popular children's authors. Who is also a comedian and a teacher. He's written 10 books. His first, Tyrific, was published in 2010. And his latest was published this year in September called Brain Freeze. Please welcome Oliver Pomervan.
1: Hello. Hi hey. Oliver. Thanks Great to so be much for
0: joining us here today.
1: Fantastic. It's lovely to be here at the Opera House, so yeah, we're really looking forward to it.
0: Well, we're going to learn a little bit more today about um, Oliver's writing process, how he gets inspiration, how he creates characters, and some of his themes that he likes to work on. Shall we get started with our first question?
1: Yeah, let's get into it. Okay,
0: well, how did you decide that you wanted to be an author?
1: Well, when I was... um In year three, eight years old, I started to read funny books. And so I read books by uh, Paul Jennings, Morris Gleitzman, Andy Griffiths. And my teacher librarian said, well, if you like those funny authors, why don't you read Rodale? And then from there, something clicked in my head and I knew I wanted to be an author because I thought, "Okay, how cool would it be to make stuff up, use your imagination and uh, make it get paid for it? So I thought, yep, I knew I wanted to be an author there and then.
0: What would you say then is your favourite book?
1: Favourite book, okay, I'm gonna cheat and I'm gonna say all the unbooks by Paul Jennings. Um, I love those unbooks. But the book that really stands out in my mind is actually Fantastic Mr. Fox by Roald Dahl, actually. And the reason why I picked that book is because the way that Roald Dahl, um, like, I'm a big fan of Twist. And the way that he has that twist at the very end of Fantastic Mr Fox still blows my mind. So, yeah.
0: Mm. And those books are so interesting that they've been able to carry through so many different generations as yeah, well. Yeah,
1: that's right. I think um, when it comes to humour, it's it's quite timeless. And I find that kids of all generations will continue to read those books forever. So.
0: Well, it's interesting that you say humour as well, because mm. as I mentioned, you are also a comedian.
1: Yes, that's and right, yeah. have also
0: been a teacher yes. in the past. How much of those jobs that you've had, and obviously passions, mm. come in and influence your work now when you're writing?
1: Yeah, well, I, I call it the perfect triangle actually, because if you're a teacher, you need a sense of humor and I know the teachers out there know it for sure. Um, And you're also performing as well, like being a teacher. You're out there performing in front of kids. Um, Hey, look, it's algebra. Hey, look, it's uh, maths. Uh, But I think um, for me, you know, being a comedian gives me the chance to test out my material on stage. And I think feedback's very important when it comes to uh, writing humor. So um, I've used that part of my performance as a comedian to help me um, sort of road test my writing. And of course, being a teacher, um, I think that means that I was able to um, have an audience of kids and do voices and um, just sort of, you know, play with stories with them. And so I use that as a test audience as well, so Mm. yeah.
0: So you've mentioned a few sort of really great things about being a writer. Obviously it's really nice to go out and connect and do opportunities like this, but Mm -hmm. what are some of the other things that are a little bit more challenging?
1: Yeah, so the challenging part for me is juggling um, different projects, and sometimes I get caught out. So I say yes to everything, and you know when you like you have homework and you have an assignment that's due in two weeks' time, so you just kind of relax, and then you you check the uh, your diary, and you're like, what the 29th? That's tomorrow! Oh no! And then you've got to like you know quickly write or quickly do your assignment or your project. I've been guilty of staying up all night to finish projects and deadlines as well. So sometimes that catches me unawares. So yeah, that's probably the the, the hardest thing about being a writer for me.
0: So with that, do you just write on one book at a time or are you juggling across a couple of different books?
1: Yeah. So for me, I tend to just focus on one book, but at the same time, I'm also brewing the next idea or the next book in my head as well. So I'm kind of like yeah, kind of like doing two projects. The one that I'm actually writing is the book that I'm, I'm, I need to write for uh, for Penguin, my publisher. But inside here, there were seeds of stories just sort of beginning to sprout. And um, I'm always thinking about my next book whenever I'm writing my book, so mm. yeah.
0: So I'd really like to talk a little bit about where you get your inspiration from mm. and about the process, your process of writing. Yeah. So how much of what what we read in your stories is based on your real-life experiences?
1: Yeah, I would have to say um, 74%. 74%. Yes, I did a survey there. Um, So, I mean, Ty for example, um, it's basically me as a kid. So um, I always tell, you know, people to write about their life because I find that when you are writing about your life, you are able to use your own experiences and you can entertain by taking bits of your life that you find are fascinating or unique about yourself. And for me, it was the fact that I was the only Thai kid at my school. And even though my mum and dad were great Thai cooks, I actually didn't enjoy eating Thai food. So <laughs> I thought that would be a great concept for a story. So I just basically used myself as the main character in Thaerific. Mm. Hmm.
0: And do you find that different parts of your... Personality come up in different p- characters in other books?
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, I mean, even like, you know, a book like this, for example, I mean, Connerd here is about my creative side and it's also a celebration of me being a nerd as well. But my mum, like my real-life mum, um, Connor's mum as well, um, she wanted uh, me to be a doctor, just like Connor's mum wanted me to be a doctor as well. So I had to convince uh, my, my mum and dad that I wanted to be an author instead of being a doctor. And even Natural Born Loser is kind of like my fantasy story as well, because um, it's about uh, my dream of becoming a school captain, but, you know, I was a bit of a loser. And when I say loser, I don't mean like loser like that. But what I mean is that I didn't have that confidence to actually, you know, convince the school, convince kids that I wanted to be a school captain. I wasn't really great at sports. I was, you know, didn't have many friends. I was sort of somewhere in the middle there. So this is my fantasy of um, a kid actually wanting to be um, a school leader and he actually did after the school leaders got accidentally... Anyway, I oh, will get into that, but yeah. <laughs>
0: um, what we're going to do a little bit later on is delve a little bit more into the characters mm. and talk a little bit about those. Yeah. But um, just going back to your process and inspiration, how long does it take you to write
1: a book? Yeah, so the whole process actually takes about one year. So I had the idea for Brain Freeze... Um, back in like 2018 actually. So the seed starts in there and I spend about six months brainstorming and, and drafting my story. So that takes about six months. Um, my publisher usually gives me six months to deliver the story. So I, I do all that sort of in my head and then on the laptop. And then after that, the next three months we edit the story. So that means we go back. We, not only do we fix the mistakes, we also actually try to make the story better. So we level it up uh, we try to make it funnier, make it scarier, all that kind of stuff. And then from there, the covers get designed and then it comes out to bookstores. bookstore. So that process takes one year, which is quite shocking because a lot of people think, oh, yeah, you just press a button and it just comes out. But no, a lot of things have to get into motion before the book actually becomes a book.
0: Mm. And when you say a seed mm. gets planted in here... yeah. What do you actually, what does that actually mean?
1: Yeah, so um, I always carry my notebook. And if you want to be a writer, guys, you have to have a notebook or your device as well. But for example, brain freeze. Um, One of the stories in in brain freeze, I love Slurpees. So I was drinking my Slurpee and this is confession. It's summer, it's 40 degrees and Slurpees are so cheap. Uh, Frozen drinks are cheap, you know, a dollar from everywhere. And so I was drinking my fourth frozen drink thinking, I wonder how many of these I could have before I get brain freeze. And (laughs) from there, it just got me thinking, okay, well, I wonder how many can people have before they get brain freeze? And so from there, I was like, okay, how about a challenge? How about a challenge where these two kids are drinking Slurpees and one of them claims they don't get brain freeze? And the other guy goes, yeah, right. I'm going to buy you 10 Slurpees, drink them all. I bet you'll get brain freeze. And if you don't then I'll pour Slurpee down my pants. And then from there, back and forth, it goes into my head, I hear these voices, and then I'm I'm ready to start writing. So, yeah. And all all that came was just from my favourite drink, which is um, frozen drinks and Slurpees. And so I always tell kids, you know, like, think about your favourite food, think about your favourite things, and from there, you can actually start writing a story using that as a launch pad.
0: Mm. Mm. And how do you, I mean... How do you actually know what is gonna make a really good story? When do you know that you're putting words onto a paper and you, or typing them in, you know, mm. how, how do you know that it's gonna be good?
1: Yeah, look, well, you know, the truth is you don't know, actually. You don't know, you're just there. And um, one of the scariest things about being a writer is you're writing it and you're thinking it's the best story in the world, but you haven't shared it with people yet. So. For me, um, I have an editor, I have an agent who who reads my my work as well, and they give me feedback, so that's actually a good sign. So if they read it and they go, "Mm, yeah, then I know that I need to actually go back and uh, work on my story. But if they read and go, okay, this this is, is, um, you're on the right track here, this shows potential, then I go, okay, all right, I'm going to keep on writing it, so, um, but I think for me, um, you know, having been a writer for 10 years now, I've got to trust my gut. And so I know from the get-go that if I'm excited about a story, if I'm really passionate about this subject, and if I'm really keen to let my, my readers out there read this story, 90% of the time, I know I'm on the right track. So it's, sometimes it's just the gut. Sometimes it's just a feeling. It's just, sometimes it's that feeling when you're, you, know, you, you can't stop typing or you, you, yeah, you have to focus that's when you know you're on the right track. So. And I guess
0: mm. one of the things with that is also um, is to make sure that if you are going to share your ideas, yeah. that, you, that you have someone that you really trust yeah. um, in order to make it a good experience and also be open to getting feedback and receiving feedback.
1: That's right. One of the things about being a writer is that you need to um, you know, develop a thick skin. And by that, it means that you know if people don't like your work, that's okay because books movies games you know some people love it some people don't and that's okay so i'm i'm pretty comfortable with that and i find honestly like some of the feedback that i get in my books actually makes the story better so if you read the first draft of these stories here in brain freeze compared to what you see in the book it's like a world of difference and it all helps to make sure that this is the best thing that I, I could write. So,
0: mm. Mm. And so if there's any kids out there that are having difficulty getting their stories and ideas down onto the page, mm. what would be some tips that you would give them?
1: I would say um, to write it down. A lot of kids that I've taught in, in at schools or when I do workshops, they They say their story, they tell their friends, but they never write it down. And so they forget about it when they leave school or when they go play games or do whatever. So that's my first tip, to write it down. And yes, it could be a dud, but your best idea is never idea number five, idea number 10, it could be idea number 799. But to get there, you've got to write down 798 dud ideas to get to your golden idea. So make it a habit to write ideas down, write random scenes, things that make you laugh, you overhear a conversation on the train or on the bus, makes you chuckle, write it down, because you never know, that could spark a really cool idea for a story. But Another place to start is also with the heart, okay? So you need to write about things that you're really passionate about. I can tell, and the readers can tell as well, if you're really excited about a subject, okay? So if you're writing a story about rocks and you don't like rocks... You know, the reader is going to fall asleep. But if you're excited about basketball, or if you're excited about um, saving the forest, that passion is going to come through in your writing. So, Mm. yeah, you've got to start right here in your heart.
0: This is a really good place for us now to move into talking more about themes. Yeah. yeah. So in a lot of your books, a lot of the characters seem to be struggling a little bit with identity and mm. with expectations, Yeah. sometimes family expectations, what's expected yeah. of them with their friends and their families. Why have you chosen to explore those themes and topics?
1: Yeah, so I, look, I'm, I love um, writing stories about the underdog, about the the kids who get shuffled into the background because I was one of those kids as well. I write about weird kids because I used to be a weird kid, and I'm still kind of weird right now, actually. So I want to be a voice for those kids out there. And so I, I read about those stories because I find that those stories are the ones that are very, like, they're entertaining stories that are fascinating to actually read about. You don't want to read about, you know, Mr. Popular becoming more popular or a rich person becoming more rich. You want to actually see a story where a character actually changes from the beginning to the end. And I find that with stories about kids who are quite reluctant or a little bit scared, they need to step up and become brave. So, for example, in Brain Freeze, we've got the first dog that goes to Mars. At the start of the story, he's scared. He's like, why am I even here? I don't want to be here. I don't want to go to Mars. Mars is so far away. I want to go home. But by the end, his view kind of changes. And so I love to write stories about characters who... Um, Find something inside them to step up, to be brave, to make a move, um, and yeah, they change. So mm.
0: yeah, another really big theme um, is about culture. Yeah, and culture plays a really big part in in your stories. And about why do you why do you think it's important for us to read stories about people who come from backgrounds or who are different to us?
1: Yeah, I find look as a teacher, I used to teach um, a whole lot of schools, and you know there would be. Um, 35 different cultures staring back in front of me. So I wanted to make sure that the books that I I wrote reflected that as well. When I was a kid growing up, there weren't many um, Asians in stories, to be honest. Like, you know, um, I I could hardly find any of them. So I I thought, okay, well, no one's out there writing stories about Asians, Australians, I'm gonna be one of the first to start. So I started writing stories like Tyrific and Encondred. And now I'm really thankful that not only are there Asian Australians out there, but there are many cultures out there who now have a voice, not just through books, but also through what people see on TV or in movies as well, or what they see out on the stage in plays. So I want to make sure that, you know, when when someone reads my book, they know that they can also write the same story, knowing that they can see themselves um, in the book or on screen.
0: Mm. And I think some of the really interesting things in reading your books are, Traditions are mentioned, yes, and yeah. things like Chinese New Year and yeah. karma as a concept, yeah. um, and the Water Festival as well. Yes, obviously. Tai Yu
1: Year. One of the coolest things is that yes, it's true. It is true. You are allowed to shoot each other with super soakers <laughs> during Tai Year because I actually did that when I was a kid at a Thai temple, and it was so much fun. And there was a point to it because the water is meant to. Uh, wash away all the bad luck. But you know what? I, that, that's the thing about reading books because when you read books, right, you can discover other people's cultures and step into their shoes while you're reading the book. So even though you may not be able to relate to them in terms of their, their culture and where they come from, you can learn so much from that. And so when you actually do meet people who are from that culture, you can actually go, oh, yeah, I know. You're, you're, you're tired, right? Yeah, I know. At year you do this, you do that. And uh, a person will be like, oh, yeah, how'd you know? And it's all just for reading books, which is really cool.
0: You might have already alluded to this earlier, mm. but a lot of your books, um, food is really, yeah. big. food oh, plays yes. a really big yeah. part. Um, you know, Thai-rific is written as a menu. Yes. All the chapters are written as a menu. And obviously, um, Longy, Longy's parents own a Thai restaurant. Mm-hmm. Why is food such a big um, role in your in your stories?
1: Um, Well, there's many reasons why. I think the first reason is because food brings people together. I mean, you know, if you have a luncheon or you have a a party, you expect food to be there. Uh, I also find that food is one of those few things that when people come from a different country and they come to Australia to live here, they love to showcase their food in terms of where they've come from. So, you know, when I've had Harmony Day at my school as a teacher or as a kid, like, I'm just blown away with with how many amazing food items are there on on the luncheon, which is really cool. And you've got food from all different kinds of cultures as well, which is really nice. And I find that for a lot of people, their first um, taste of that person's culture is actually through their food, pun intended, that's right. So, you know, the first time you discover something about, um, for example, Japanese culture is maybe sushi. So that's really cool. Also, something about food, right, is that people can relate to it. Because people eat food. I mean, and when you're describing food, you're describing the taste, the sound, the smell, and you can draw people into it as well. So that's why food is such a big, um, big thing in all my books. Mm. So, and it also, yeah. you
0: know, put, like you said, it, it brings on all your senses. Yeah, and then you can recall that. Yes through a uh, smell another time or the taste another time, yeah. Yeah,
1: that's right. And it does bring back memories. I mean, people can think about their favourite food and it does trigger those kind of memories. Um, so, yeah, make sure you eat something before you read my books, actually. And, and actually, maybe not. Maybe you want to be terrific, and I guarantee you, you'll be hungry for some Thai food afterwards. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very much,
0: yeah. Okay, another way that... Another device that you use hmm. is humour.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Why do you think... It's uh, humour is used as a device to explore themes.
1: I think humour is great in terms of engaging the reader straight away because, um, you know, sometimes people think uh, books are really boring, but I find that if you can make them laugh, they want to read more about those characters. In terms of uh, humour, for me, I find that if I'm able to uh, make people laugh about a certain subject or a certain topic they're going to learn something and not realise it because they've actually just been laughing all along the way. So I find that uh, humour is a great way to explore some, some serious issues sometimes because, um, you know, sometimes things are very serious, sometimes things are very dark, but I find that a little bit of humour can actually flip that around and sort of make, thing, make the reader go, well, you know what, it's not too bad because of this scenario. So,
0: mm. hmm. And I think um, what... I mean, we're, gonna, we're actually going to read... Yeah. Should we read that now? Yeah. Okay, well, um, should we do a little reading of um Thai-rific Yeah. And the opening chapter at the top of the book, for those of you who haven't um, heard this, uh, it's a wonderful treat to hear Oliver reading it straight okay. up. Okay,
1: so this is basically me in a nutshell as a kid. Um, same, same but different. It's what Thai people say when they're talking about something similar, like a fake watch or a copied DVD, It feels and looks the same, but it's not the real thing. I know how that fake watch feels. I'm a fake Aussie. I was made in Thailand. People can spot it straight away. I sound like an Aussie, but I smell like Thai food. I live in Australia, but my house is a a Thai restaurant. So, (laughs) you know, as you can see there, yes, you know, he's trying to fit in. And yes, sometimes he feels like he, you know, he might be bullied for what he looks like or all that kind of stuff. But because it's written in such a, a funny way, People can relate to it, and it does make them think. Oh, yeah, you know, like yeah. I, I didn't. I never realised that you know being different might mean like this, or I never realised that um, you know someone who might look different might feel this way as well. So, hmm.
0: well, moving on to characters, then, what what makes a memorable character?
1: I think for me, it's um, their flaws and their quirks. You don't want to meet a character who's perfect. You want to meet a character who has a weakness, or um, in my case, something weird about them. So for example, uh, let's take uh, Lengi's mom in Tairific. Normal mom, she seems to be quite cool, but when she's in the supermarket, she likes to dance. Or when she sees a bargain, she goes into like, a savings dance, which is, oh, look at how much money we're gonna save. And then she does things like she tries to bargain with, with the checkout person. because She thinks, look, I bought all this, and, I deserve a discount, and you're like, oh, mum, that is so embarrassing. So for me, um, I find that the best characters are the ones who seem normal on the outside, but there's little quirks or little things about them that make them stand out for different reasons.
0: And how much, I mean, you're describing... Lengi's mum. Yes. Okay. Without giving away too much, Mm -hmm. how much of that is taken from your real life experiences when you're creating all of your different characters?
1: Yeah, I would have to say it would have to be about seventy four percent. You know, seventy eight percent (laughs) actually. Yeah, because my mum and dad were very embarrassing for me as a kid, and you know, my mum and dad—they're really part of where they come from. You know, being the the Thai culture, and for my dad's case, the uh, Laotian culture. And so it was kind of funny seeing them trying to fit into the Australian culture as well. So, like, you know, little things like uh, my dad, um, you know, starting to learn the rules of rugby league because he wants to fit in at his workplace because everyone is crazy about uh, rugby league. Or just seeing my mom, you know, dressed up in her Thai traditional costume um, sort of outfit. And she's out there, like, you know, still wanting to feel Thai, but then it's quite warm and hot. And so she has to realise that, OK, well, maybe I should wear fongs or, or maybe I should wear shorts instead or something like that. So just seeing those little differences uh, come to fruition is something that as a kid, um, you know, I would say, oh, mom, that's kind of weird. But as a, you know, as a bigger kid, as an, as an adult, you go, oh, yeah, I guess, you know, they were trying to make an effort. And I have a deepest sense of appreciation for them. So,
0: Mm. yeah. And do you think that now with perspective, you try and write that perspective into your stories?
1: I do, yeah, yeah. So even though, yes, Lengi is embarrassed about his parents, and yes, even though he would rather eat pizza or burgers, he realises deep down inside that, you know, his parents are okay, they're all right. Because, you know, they're, they're doing the best they can, and they're still... Having the best of both worlds, so yes, they can have their Thai culture, but they're living in Australia, so they can take the best bits out of the Australian culture as well. So,
0: yeah, yeah, and I mean, I guess if we could just um, talk a little bit more about Lenghi. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, how do you okay, how do you go? I mean, you've said it's based a, a lot around you,
1: yeah,
0: seventy-eight percent,
1: seventy-eight percent, yes, seventy-eight percent.
0: Yeah, um, you know, and he he struggles with his parents and that and that Thai identity. Um, there's a there's some great um, chapters in there where they they go to different places to eat Thai food (laughs) and that's the last thing he wants to eat because he eats it all the time. Um, And that all of the people around him seem to embrace his culture much more than he does. Mm. Um, uh, There's also a really great chapter in there with the mozzie, with the mosquito. Yeah. You know, being around, that's very much obviously a traditional Australian term. Yes. So um, all those little bits, would you say that... I know you've, got, you, you've talked about having your book. and Is observation a really key ingredient to creating characters?
1: Ah, uh, For sure. So, I mean, I've, talken, I've, I've spoken about characters that have come from my childhood and me as a kid, but I mix them in with observations. And so when I'm a stand-up comedian, when I'm doing my routines, I'm usually talking about things that I see or things that I've experienced. And so I've done the same thing here in Tyrific. So um, a lot of kids in, the, in this class... Um, in Lengy's class, are actually based on kids that I used to teach um, when I used to be a teacher. And sometimes you need that. Sometimes for, for my characters to feel authentic or to feel modern or to feel like they're from the times, I am taking bits and pieces from kids of, of this day and just putting them into my stories to keep them sort of contemporary and fresh. So, mm. yeah. All
0: right. Let's talk a little bit more about another character mm-hmm. who also I know you have said kind of as a representation of him as well. So Connor, out of Connerd. I mean, Connor wants, has all these dreams of being creative and being an artist, but Mm. his mother has a lot of expectations and and the wider family have a lot of of expectations on him being a doctor.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, And it's about duty and responsibility. why, I mean, that theme is actually quite an interesting theme to write about as well within the story.
1: Yeah, you know, it's something that has never been written before, or not, not that I know of, this sort of like this pressure to um, to please your parents by, you know, studying hard, working hard, but also being something that they want you to be. So, you know, for everyone else, maybe you might say, I want to be a carpenter. Mum and dad says, go for it, son, be a carpenter, that's cool but for my mom and dad it was either doctor or nothing and so my mom she wanted to be she wanted me to be like her her friends kids who are going to be doctors or lawyers or or scientists or whatever and that's cool if you want to do those things that's great but I, like i said before when i was in year 3 i wanted to be a writer and so when i told my mom that i wanted to be a writer she said no you can't be a writer there's no 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 you have to be a doctor and i'm like why she goes well you know i i want you um, I want you to be a doctor so I can be proud of you. I'm like, but wouldn't you be proud of me if I did something that I love? And so that concept is actually um, a little bit of a shock when it comes to the um, traditional uh, Chinese culture or in some Asian cultures as well. And so I remember as a kid, in year seven, you know, I did really bad in my maths, maths tests and my mom and dad are saying, Oliver, if, you, if your grades are like this, you'll you'll never, You'll never bring honor to our family. And this feeling of not feeling good enough is something that I've had it for a very long time in the back of my head. And when I wrote Connor, I was able to draw that and put it into this character. Now, before people ask, yes, mom and dad are now quite proud of me as an author. But I think the reason why they weren't quite sure was because they, they didn't see many Asian authors out there. And so that's why they weren't like, well, you, you know, you can't be a writer because I, I, I can't see any Asian writers out there. You know, you, you'll be different. It, it wouldn't work. But now that they've seen me doing this for the last 10 years, they go, OK, well, you know, there's other Asian authors out there as well, which is really cool. So they can finally see it and they're, they're proud of me now. So, yeah.
0: Mm. And, I mean, all characters, as we said in the beginning, you know, need to overcome an obstacle. Yes. Um, how do you... And obviously you've had experience, you've mentioned you take things from the classroom, from being a teacher. But how do Hmm. you really put yourself in the shoes of the audience that you're writing for?
1: Yeah, I think for me, I've always been a big kid myself. I I love playing games. I love toys. And, you know, so I've got that playful sense already. And so what I do is um, mixing with those observations of kids, I put them all together, and then I just sort of stir the pot. For example, um, uh, in... They have a Christy, there's a really shy girl named Christy Ong who never speaks, um, only puts her hand up when she wants help, which is hardly ever because she's pretty smart as well. She's a a quiet achiever. And so I've taken that character from things that I've seen in in my class of these quiet kids who never say anything, and I just sort of mark them down in, in my books. But what I've also done as well is I thought to myself, okay, well, if I was a quiet achiever what would be something that would really annoy me? Oh, I know. What if I was forced to sit next to the most popular girl in my class who was very loud all the time? And so from there, I created Christie. Because when it comes to writing stories, it is your job to push their buttons, to annoy them, make them angry, make them scared. And so that's what I've done with with all my characters. So
0: So your latest book, Brain Freeze, Mm Um, is actually sort of breaks the mould for how you were writing because that is a collection of shorter stories. Yeah. Um, And we also follow some of the sort of minor characters that are written about in some of these books. And then we see it and we change the point of view. So we go from Mm. first-person point of view. Yeah. And then we move around and we follow the story from one of the smaller character's point of views in there, which is a really interesting device to do that.
1: Yeah, you know, it was so much fun. because there's a line mentioned in uh, one of the stories in Thai where Joanna, who's a, a Chinese-Australian, she comes to the Harmony Day with a plate of sweet and sour pork, and Lenny goes, wow, that actually looks like sweet and sour pork, not the uh, glow in dark green, you know, or glow in a dark green, glow in dark pink uh, sweet and sour pork that you might see in like, you know, takeaway stores. And she said, yeah, yeah, it's really authentic. And so I thought about that, I'm like, well, you know, Ling is not the only one who has parents who want to show off their Thai cooking skills or their cooking skills. I'm pretty sure everyone else does. So I stepped back and I thought, okay, well, what can I do about this character, Joanna? Like, you know, how would her parents feel if they made a typical Aussie, Australian, Chinese kind of dish of like in the duck, sweet and sour pork. And so from there, I developed this side story. And it's really cool because not many authors get a chance to revisit their older characters and write it from a minor character. So it was really cool. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Would you mind reading um, a little bit from Brain Freeze?
1: Yes. Let me put that over there, Brain Freeze. So
0: maybe let's do one of the first stories in there.
1: Yeah. So this is The um, the Boy with a Thousand Names. And this is uh, a story that is like a what-if scenario. So as a writer, we always ask ourselves a lot of questions. And one of these questions, let me just... uh, and over here, one of the questions got my question box over here. Is uh, what if? So here we are. In the not too distant future, there was a boy named Joe, but he didn't know for how long. He had no idea if Joe was going to be his name tomorrow. You see, Joe lived in a time where parents were allowed to change their kids' names, and it was all done by an app on their phone. It was a, it was installed by the National Naming Network on the birth of the child, and the rules were simple: no rude words no brands, and you couldn't use the same name twice. And you can only change the name once a day. It was quite rare for a kid just to have one name in their lifetime. You see, Joe's friends had up to five names when they went to kindergarten. But by the time they started school, their parents had already settled on a name, but not for Joe. You see, his parents were particularly picky about his name. So by the time Joe was 11, he already had hundreds of names. Yesterday, his name was Hendrix. The day before that, it was Braxton. Last Monday, it was Tumbawamba. That was a long day for Joe. Then his parents got really creative with their their phone's keypad and started naming him like hashtag one smiley face. But that only made him hashtag smiley face sad because he was worried his nickname was going to be his phone number. You see, at school, Joe found it easier to wear a stick label with his name on it because, you know, his teachers and friends would know what his name was on that day and then he could just take it off. On Saturday evening, Joe and his parents were having dinner and chatting about names. It was all they talked about. Joe's dad was resting his elbows on an open book of names. What about Thompson? Joe's dad asked. Joe's mum stabbed her fork into a chicken piece. Unlike half of that name, she said. Which half? Joe's dad asked. The second half, Joe's mom said, son. Because we have a son. I like that chain of thought. Joe's dad clapped his hands. Okay, what about Stevenson? Fennelson? Joe's mom suggested. Sonny son? Oh, Joe thought about the hundreds of names that his parents had given him. Some of the names were good names, like Timmy or Neil. He liked Neil a lot. He thought he looked like a Neil. Joe's dad reached over to the kitchen bench and grabbed another book, which had colour names. Joe winced. Colours were the worst. So far he had to endure brown, moss and coral. Mmm, Joe's dad said, flicking through the book. What about ivory? Ivory, ivory, mum chanted loudly as though her, her son was a soccer star. Then there was a knock on the door. Who could that be, Joe's dad said. It might be the neighbours complaining about mum's chanting, Joe muttered. Joe's dad opened the door to a small man in a grey trench coat. Hello, the man said, his eyes looking a bit scary there. I'm Agent Crown from the NNNN. What? Agent Crown took out his badge and flashed it. That's the national name. Yeah, 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 I know, I know, Joe's uh, dad said. What are you here for? I don't get it. This is about your son, Joe, Agent Crown said. Did you know that this is his founcy name? Oh, wow, Joe's dad yelled, do we get a medal? Agent Crown gave him a steely look. Nobody has ever reached a thousand names. It is unacceptable. He took out a letter from inside of his coat. I'm afraid we will have to suspend your naming license. You will need to see a naming doctor at the NNNN Center to get it back. With that, Agent Crown left. Joe's parents were devastated. For the first time in forever... Joe went to bed knowing what his name was going to be like tomorrow. It was the best sleep he had in years. Yeah.
0: That's great. Now, a couple of the stories that are in Brain Freeze were written in 2020 yeah. during the pandemic and the crazy year that we've had. Mm-hmm. Which is really unusual in the sense of this might be one of the first books that's come out that has been published during this time. Yeah. Um, And you've got two stories in there that kind of relate to the year that we've had. That's right. Would you mind reading a little bit from one of those um, other things, which is actually other chapters, which is actually an extension of your Tyrific book?
1: Yes, that's right. Because, you know, um, I was able to edit my book during March, during the uh, initial lockdown. And I got to think about... You know, what would what, what, what my characters be like during lockdown? Which led to this um, story called Super Essential Tyrific, where Tyrific has become a delivery-only service during that lockdown period. So let me give you a, a small taste of that. Ever since the pandemic started, so many parents have, got, have had to get used to their you, uh, work-from-home lives. Not mine. You see, my parents have been working from home all their lives, running a terrific restaurant from downstairs. They've never been busier. My little brother Kitsai and I have to work every night during the dinner rush hour, which is more like two hours. Tonight, in this empty restaurant, Kitsai crawls under the tables like a hamster chasing a ball. least we're out of the house, he says. Pfft, this is our house. We're just downstairs, I say. His side grins. No, we just had school upstairs, he says, at living room public school. Ha ha ha. He jumps out from under the table, bumping an unturned chair. I grab the chair from the floor. Watch it, I say. Boys, Dad hollers from the kitchen, we need you at the packing stations. We both go to the counter where Dad's already in his apron, chef's hat, mask and gloves. It's Thursday night, Dad says. You know what that means? We get double pay, I say. Dad slaps. Uh, Kitsai slaps him on the arm. Wait, wait, wait. We're getting paid? No, 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 no. It's our buy one curry get one free day. Dad says. So we're expecting a ton of orders. No worries, Dad. I say. This is easier than serving customers in person. Yeah. All we gotta do is like put the containers into bags for the turtles on wheels. Kitsai says. Dad raises an eyebrow. Turtles? Yeah, yeah, you know, the, the, the people with the giant square packs on their backs, Kitsai says. He picks up an empty box and holds it behind his back. Oh, you mean those thermal boxes, I say. No, no, all those delivery people use them. Yes, we don't want any food getting cold, Dad says grimly. Ever since lockdown, Tyrific has been a smash hit with all the food delivery options um, and companies around Fairfield. Mom steps out of her storeroom. Have you both finished your homework? Of course, I say. Everything we do is homework. I keep to his eye, giggles. Oh, yeah. Mum's still wearing traditional tie dress, even though we're close for dining in. It's an interesting look with her face mask and gloves. You need to finish your studies first before you can help out, she says. I am tempted to use an English assignment to, as a, you know, get out of a terrific pass, but I count the lines on mum's forehead. I should help out. Besides, this counts as an off screen activity, which means I can play some games later. Dad pats my shoulder. Thank you, boys. Tyrific is even more essential than ever in this time. Yeah, we are super essential, Gitsar says, doing his best Superman pose. <laughs> and I'll believe it there.
0: That's great. Um, what are you working on at the moment? Yeah.
1: So I am working on a book. Uh, I've just finished a book called What About Tail, uh, which is a working title at the moment, and it's about this um, this kid who moves from the city into a country town. And you know, some kids might think, "Oh, I'm moving to a country town. You know, it's going to be kind of boring." But he absolutely loves it, and he has really cool adventures there. And after that, I'm also working on the sequel to um, The Other Christie called Another Other Christie. So, The Other Christie, uh, which I'm going to show you right over here, it's about two girls in class with the same name. But in the sequel, there's going to be another girl named Christie into the mix. So, that's what I'm working on.
0: Um, I know that you are a massive advocate for reading and literacy. Why do you think reading and the power of storytelling is so important?
1: I think, you know, if you want to be a writer, you have to be a reader, because the more books you read, the more ideas you will get, and reading, there's something special about books that's better than games, yes, I know, better than games, Um, better than movies and screens and all that kind of stuff, and it's because when you're reading a book, you are in charge of imagining that character, that world, and the way that you imagine it is quite different to how other people are going to... uh, view it or create it themselves so everyone gets a different experience so when people read my books okay they're going to get 15 different versions of Veronica because they're creating the character by themselves and so that's the magic of books and that's why books are never ever going to go away because I find that it's the best way to exercise that creativity and also let your imagination run wild as well. Mm, Yeah, Mm.
0: great. And I think it's also, as you've proven with your books, a wonderful way to dive into cultures... ..and other people's experiences that you wouldn't normally have the opportunity...
1: That's right. ..to view, yeah. Yeah, best best place to learn about other people with different cultures and also uh, a best starting point if you want to learn more about other parts of the world or other worlds in terms of fantasy. Mm.
0: Mm. And lastly, this is our last question for today. What advice would you give... To anyone who might want to enter into the world of being a writer.
1: Okay, cool. So I've already given a couple of tips, but let me just sum it up for you guys. Uh, start with the heart, okay? Start with what you love. Write about your life. Write about your family, your friends, all that kind of stuff. And if you having a good life? Just make it up. It's okay. Because you can take the best bits of your life and exaggerate them for humour, in my case, or for horror, if you want to be a scary writer, or for action, you can make things more... Add 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 an explosion, that that would do. Um, Read lots of books, especially books that you want to write yourself one day. So if you're into fantasy, you can read Jessica Townsend. If you love comedy, you can read my books. Carry a notebook, because your notebook is going to be your best friend to catch those ideas, otherwise they're going to run into the wild. And my last tip is going to be, if you don't know where to start, you start short. Short stories are a great place to start because short stories can only be a page long to, what, five pages long. And I'm pretty sure everyone out there can write a story that's just one page. Best thing about short stories is that it's the best bits of a story crammed into something that's really short to read. So,
0: yeah. Great. Thank you so much, Oliver.
1: Thanks so much, Min. It's been a lovely morning here. And can I just say a big shout-out to everyone here watching Uh, Thanks so much for tuning in and I hope you get to read my books and I hope you get to write interesting stories as well.
0: Yeah, we hope that you've um, learnt a little bit about Oliver and his writing process and about how to create a really great character and how to explore different themes. From all of us here at the Sydney Opera House, thank you so much for joining us. Please um, join us again for another tour or workshop or author talk and head to the Sydney Opera House Digital Experiences page to find all those. Also, why not follow us? we on our Teachers and Educators Facebook group. Until next time, it's bye from all of us here at the Opera House. See ya. To make sure you don't miss out, subscribe to Artie Fartie, wherever you get your podcasts from.